chosen in connection with the resurrection to our Lord Je- of our Lord Jesus Christ on the third day. And uh, the sermon topic this afternoon is from the sequence of Lord's Days that are being explained in the Providence Church. We're at Lord's Day 17. I'm a member of Providence. My name is Dr. Ted Van Ralty, and I teach at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, in case you don't recognize me. We're going to read from John chapter 5. And we have 5 verse 16 to 30 um, posted or sent to you by email. I'm going to start at 5 verse 21 and read a little bit of chapter 6 as well. So John 5 verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So Jesus is talking about himself here. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment and has passed from death to life. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now let's turn to chapter 6, verse 35. John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those are our two readings from the Gospel according to John, and then from Ephesians chapter 2. Letter of the Apostle Paul the Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's respond to God speaking to us from his holy word by singing Psalm 16. We'll sing the stanzas four and five. These words of the Apostles' Creed, on the third day he arose from the dead. And we explain the meaning of those words in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17, page 531 in your book of praise. Lord's Day 17, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, primarily two congregations of our Lord in Castor and Providence, but also any others who have joined us. Our focus this afternoon is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lives forever and gives hope to us in the midst of worldwide misery. I know that some of you are in self-isolation from the rest of your family watching, listening to this in your bedroom. Some of you are in self-isolation as an entire family or as a single person or a couple. And people who fear the coronavirus' spread are watching, listening, not a person is unaffected and fewer will be unaffected as it goes on. Everyone is tasting something of the misery and suffering and sorrow of the world. And with the scriptures we can say the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And they suppress what may be known about God. It's plain to them because he's made it plain in the created things and in the created but fallen things. So those created but fallen things include things like cells that in themselves are the building blocks of life. 
but they can mutate and degenerate in such a way as to become the building blocks of death. The curse on the creation because of our sin has effects everywhere, and we are tasting it. Every one of us is eating of this bitter fruit in some way, and it's only likely to get worse and to last for some time. So let us be wise and cautious and respectful of directives. Well, how does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ give us hope in such a time? How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? That's the very pastoral way that the question is asked here in the Catechism. And I'm so grateful to God that we can use this technology in a positive way to find comfort and strength in the Word of God. And I'm very humbled to answer the call of Christ this afternoon to bring this message to you. Our meeting together online will help us by God's grace. God will nurture our faith and our unity, and as time goes on, we will deeply desire our meeting together in one place, and that's how it should be. We hear differently when gathered as one, but in these extraordinary times, times of greater misery, we will gratefully use this means. I preach the gospel of the abundant life in Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead in this way. In these days of misery, believers have been raised with Christ to live the new life. In these times of misery, these days of misery, believers have been raised with Christ to live the new life. It doesn't matter whether we have days of plenty, days of sorrow, days of testing, days of wealth and abundance, or days of scarcity. We are raised up with Christ to live a new life. So there's three things that we want to see. follows the three parts of the catechism. How Christ has overcome misery and death is the first thing. How he has overcome misery and death. The second thing is how Christ has raised us up to new life, the very way we live. And the third thing is how Christ has secured our everlasting glory. So how Christ has overcome misery and death. And the first thing to do when we talk about that on the third day he rose from the dead is to establish that he actually did. He actually rose from the dead. And in order to establish that, the first thing you need to establish is that he actually died can't rise from death if you haven't died. And the scriptures make that very clear. The centurion witnessed his death. They didn't break his legs because he has already died. Blood and water were already separating when he was pierced with the spear. He was actually buried. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea carried his body, put spices on it. Women watched as he was buried so that they knew where to come on that Sunday morning to bring more spices. And so people saw where he was buried and then they came back and they found it empty. There was no body. The missing body is a really important part of the puzzle. Before the body was missing, his enemies said, oh, we remember what he said, that he would rise from the dead. And they believed it more than his own disciples did. Doesn't seem very likely that his disciples made it up in that case, does it? And they said, oh, we should post a guard 
because otherwise they might steal his body. You wonder if they actually were afraid that he, he would actually rise from the dead, considering that he had raised other people from the dead before. And so Jesus' own disciples were convinced by actual events in time and space. God overcame their doubts through their eyes and their ears, and they're touching him. And so Jesus appeared, we know, on Sunday number one to Mary in the garden, to other women, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Peter, to the ten. And you get these descriptions that fit what you would expect from eyewitness accounts. If a detective is interviewing somebody and wants to know whether they were really there, they know uh, what kinds of things the person will, will say or not say. They can usually tell when they're making something up. It becomes sort of generalized. But when you have these really unusual little um, pieces of evidence that just stand out and sometimes someone can't even put it together with the rest of the evidence. Why is that? It's because they didn't invent it. They're simply remembering what impacted them at that moment. So do the Gospels ever describe how Jesus got into the upper room when the door was locked? No, the disciples probably didn't know how. He was just there and they were awed. Do the Gospels describe how the grave clothes came off the body of Jesus? They don't. But it's described very clearly how they were laid in the tomb and the head wrap was by itself in a spot just as if his body was gone out of it. And so you have the grasping of his feet by Mary who's crying and thinking he's the gardener. There's just so many things that tell us these are eyewitness accounts. And on that second Sunday, Jesus appears to the eleven with Thomas. Then he comes by the Sea of Galilee with the eleven to eat some food. He appears to more than 500 people at once. It must have been some kind of assembly, maybe one of the feast days or just a worship time. He appeared to James, his half-brother. He ascended into heaven, and on the seventh Sunday, he poured out the Holy Spirit, who is one with him. So Jesus actually rose, he lived, he lives, and he acted in all kinds of wonderful ways. So it's not enough to just say, well, he rose in your heart. That's the liberal gospel. Jesus didn't actually rise. He just rose in your heart, and we all feel really good about him, and we believe in him. No, he actually, in real time and space, overcame every blight, every virus, every infection, disease, everything that reverses, hinders, slows, diminishes, or prohibits life. It's done and gone in him. He has Life, capital L-I-F-E. And he obtained it when he rose, and he has it forevermore for you. Believe this. It's good news. And believe it on the testimony of the witnesses in the Scriptures. Believe their testimony. They appeal to us to believe their testimony. Pray to God for the faith that you would accept that testimony as true. It's just such good news. Just to know that someone beat all the misery of this life. It is possible. Now the second thing after we establish that he actually rose is to establish its significance. The significance of the resurrection to overcome death. 
He rose as the innocent one. Death could not hold him. It had no rights, no authority, no power over him. Jesus had not eaten of the forbidden fruit. There was no day on which he should have surely died. But he submitted to the curse that he did not deserve. And death then overstepped its legal rights when it took him. And so he rose. It's amazing, and it is otherwise unknown to us. The hold of death is always final. Corpses stay corpses. Bodies without souls join the earth. They disintegrate. They do not reintegrate and reconstitute themselves. Now you know that Elijah and Elisha each raised a boy to life. Jesus raised many more people. But no person who was raised had ever defeated death on the basis of his own righteousness, nor by his or her own power, until Jesus. By the power of justice and truth, he had to rise, sinless, holy, righteous, in himself, innocent, pure, blameless, perfect. Death could not hold him. It had no rights, authority, or power over him. And that, brothers and sisters, is why not even death can now separate you from God's love. For Jesus Christ himself has authority over death. He's more powerful than it is. And he has authority over it to use it for his own good ends and purposes for your salvation. And he can make your death an entrance into eternal life. Praise the Lord. Now anyone who conquers death can bring us back to paradise. He has reversed the curse and wrath of God. In the day you eat of Christ, you shall surely live. And he has become our tree of life. The Heidelberg Catechism says that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. He obtained it. No one else did, has, or could, but he now has it. Righteousness. But then no one else also has the right to give others the righteousness or the, the inheritance of a good standing with God. Now the inheritance had already been assigned to each of the elect in Jesus' last will and testament. But no one else had the right to be an executor. So now having risen, the testator, he doesn't need executors, the testator himself now lives and he carries out his plans to share that righteousness with each of us. That's the idea, that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. All believers had been longing for this day when all animal sacrifices would cease because a true and lasting righteousness had been obtained for us and assigned to our accounts. Jesus is the way to God. 
the way that ended all those ways, those animal sacrifices that pointed out what God wanted but didn't actually or finally provide it. Jesus is the way to God, for he restored righteousness to us, gave back the paradisal relationship with God, shared with us the legal standing that he had obtained for us. It's here. And so when we say on the third day he rose from the dead, our hearts are filled with joy that he brought the world from one age to the next, from outside the garden east of Eden, back into the garden with God, and yes, even more, to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, where God dwells in light with his people and gives them life forevermore. It says in Colossians 1 verse 13 that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And therefore it says in Colossians 1.12 that we are um, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So before our Lord, and particularly his resurrection, there was only the present age of sin and evil of miseries piled up, the veil of tears. But with him came the breaking in of another age, the age of the last days, of everlasting life, of the kingdom of heaven, of the tree of life. And we are in both ages. But the one coming has broken into the present one. And all we're waiting for is the final turning of the calendar, the last closing of the door on the present age with its rulers that are being brought to an end, Satan and the other princes of the power of the air. And then all that will be left is the everlasting life, the paradise of God with no more kingdom of sin and death to interrupt or intrude. So in principle, Jesus Christ, whom you confess to have risen from the dead, that Jesus Christ has completely and unfailingly secured for you that new kingdom it will never cease to exist, but rather it will expand until it fills the whole world and replaces everything else with itself. That's the only place that life will be. The rest will be an ongoing death. And that's why our Lord can declare through Peter in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, that you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade because it was secured through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. Now your Lord, he wants to know today in these circumstances whether you confess this. Is your salvation safe with him who lives? Are you asking him who lives forever to take away your curse and misery? Are you eating from God's tree of life by faith, his son? Is he yours and are you his? Today also in these circumstances, in fact all the more, Well, that's our message about how Christ has overcome 
the misery of this world. But now we want to see more how Christ has raised us up to new life. He shared the righteousness with us, but now comes into the nitty-gritty of our lives. Christ has raised us up to new life, the second point. So the second part of the catechism says, by his power, we too are raised up to new life. Now, how did that happen? Well, the simple answer is by the Holy Spirit uniting you to the risen living Christ when that Christ died and when he rose. So now uniting him to you to him who lives. Now, how did the Holy Spirit do that? He does that when he works faith in your heart, and thereby he makes you one with Christ. And Jesus himself already taught this in John chapter 4, or John chapter 5 that we read. In John 5, verse 24, this beautiful statement with the amen of Jesus, amen, Amen, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed or crossed over from death to life. There's a definitive change of position. Your life prior to faith in Christ is death, no matter how young or vibrant you were. What you have in Christ is life forevermore. And you can't find that anywhere else. And in comparison to that, everything else is death. Apart from Christ, we really were dead. And we read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Apostle actually repeats it in that chapter that we were dead in our trespasses. It's in 2 verse 1. And it occurs again in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So it's clearly said twice. And that was when we followed the ways of the present age and the ruler of the power of the air, verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 2. And then verse 3 even says, we all once lived in the passions um, of our flesh. And then we were all by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. No one is accepted from that. It means we're all under God's holy and righteous anger. And uh, makes me think of Rabbi Zacharias, a great Christian apologist. He likes to remind people of what his life was like before he believed. He was asking the hard questions about suffering, and he could not make sense of the world. In the midst of India, in the midst of Hinduism, but also some nominal Christianity in his background. It's very sad, but it's true that this troubled him so deeply and the answers he tried fed him such a bad message that he tried to take his life. The world without God, without Christ, without the resurrection is a very brutal reality. Violence and survival are all there is. If you're an evolutionist, that's just consistent. Violence and survival the order of the day. But what it doesn't account for is this longing that all people have for something better. And on a non-Christian worldview, at the end of the day, that's just a dream. Somehow, somewhere, we got that hope. Well, Rabbi Zacharias just could not live with this, and he almost didn't 
until he heard the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Verse 6 of Ephesians 2 speaks of the church being made alive with Christ even when we were dead. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. And verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It's a wholesale change from one status of death to life. And it results in an entirely new condition down on the ground for us. By his power, we confess, we too are raised up to a new life. Well, Christ raised us up to this new life by sending his spirit to renew our hearts. The Holy Spirit is God, so he's present everywhere. And then he comes by the power of God to renew the hearts of those who hear the word, who are chosen by God, who respond in faith. And indeed, he is giving that faith. And he gave this life to us. It's in our hearts, and it has to show in our lives from the overflow of our hearts. And Scripture describes this new life in two places. It is stored up in heaven with Christ, Colossians 3, verse 1, but it's also in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. So there's an imperishable inheritance in heaven, and there's an imperishable seed of regeneration in our hearts. And these two instances, one up there, one here, they are joined because the Spirit of Christ is in both places and he's pulling the two together and diminishing the distance between Christ and us, between heaven and earth. And Christ and his Spirit are so much one, so united that what is in heaven and what is in our hearts is the same thing. It is the truth and the principle and the reality of eternal life. In our hearts, it shows itself as faith. And we hold on to what is in heaven as our hope. So faith and hope are the ways in which this inheritance becomes evident in the world. And how does Christ raise us up to this new life in these, last, in these days of today too? Days of misery? By faith and by hope. And both of those are divinely established Things. That's the wonderful thing about them. You didn't manufacture your own faith. God did. That makes it a lot more sure and steadfast, doesn't it? And so the existence of faith and hope are a true miracle during this present evil age, as is the love that must flow from them. Is this miracle of new life evident in your life? in your conduct, in your words. Are you able to respond to this coronavirus threat, one that we don't have a cure for, we don't have a, um, anything we can, we can give people, no immunization, but can you respond to it with a gentle and quiet spirit? What about the effect that it's having on your routines? It'll be a challenge if it isn't already. How can you show that you have the life in Christ? Will there be a gentleness about you? Do you repent of the lack of it right now? 
What about the effect that this shutdown of society is going to have on your finances? Some of you have already lost a part-time job. You might be young and you had some great plans. They got thrown to the ground. No one knows how long this will be. How can you, under these circumstances, show that you truly trust in Jesus as a risen and the living Savior? You should have a new way of life. It should become ever newer as God by grace wrestles down the sins, weaknesses, and doubts of your heart. Dear brothers and sisters, believe in Christ Jesus and pray to God for abundant mercy in this time of misery. Death will be all around us. It may take someone close to you. It may take one of you hearing this. But be the people of God, of life, of resurrection, of faith, hope, and love. The Spirit of Christ is yours to live a new life. This is a reality. Show your kindness and love to each other and to all those in need. And receive the burden of this difficult providence humbly without fear in the faith and the truth unshakable that Jesus has conquered death because he conquered sin and so he can conquer your fears and doubts. Our Lord himself, he saw all of this coming into being during his ministry as he kept the cross before him. So many of the things he did and said if you read them through, think them through with the cross before him, they make sense. And he says in John 5, verse 25, another one of those amen, amen statements, amen, amen, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. It was right there in the person of Jesus. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He saw himself raising us up to new life. He saw his spirit working faith in our hearts, and he rejoiced. He said, I am the way. We already saw that briefly. And the truth. And the life. And he gave his flesh for the life of the world, he said. And as the life was in the blood, we know from the Old Testament, so his blood became our life, his shed blood. And so he rightly proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Mary and Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You'll never suffer the second death, to put in the words of the book of Revelation. And so let me ask you, do you really believe what you recite when you say, on the third day he arose from the dead? What does your heart say about your Lord?
You know, when you think about what life is, well, it includes everything, doesn't it? Everything we feel, everything we think, everything we desire, everything we speak, everything we perform and fabricate is because we live. That underlies it all. It's all part of life. Every commitment we make, every plan, every intention, every joy and fulfillment and pleasure, every frustration and struggle and suffering, it's all part of our lived experience, our life. So what does it mean to be raised up to a new life? It means that some of those things that are part of life in the broader sense, they need to be killed off because they don't really belong to what life really should be or what's truly living. Sin is, brings death, not life. So we need to kill off our frustration and our anger and our deceit. But then it means that other things need to be sought from God in their place, like thankfulness that I'm alive, patience with God's providence, and truthfulness in all things. It, and it means to be raised up to new life, means that every last corner and aspect and dimension of life has been renewed. All of it is new in Christ, and he doesn't leave any of it untouched. The Lord Jesus is everywhere in your life, making it new, sanctifying who you are, what you think, say, and do, guiding you into holiness and righteousness, where you can take hold of the life that is truly life. Beautiful expression of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, verse 19. Take hold of the life that is truly life. And then you can live and joy and share that life at every turn. It is so very good. And if you've lost your first love, then engage with someone who's just come to know the Lord and can tell you about the difference it makes. Better yet, just go back to the Word of God and keep on praying. Both together, indeed. It's so transforming of yourself, of those around you, and of society to have this new life. So live as those who alone can bring peace, joy, and goodness into this world. New life. It is yours in Jesus Christ. It is. He rose, he raised you up, and it makes all the difference. So we finally see how Christ has secured our everlasting glory. So we have a present righteousness and ongoing work of raising us up to new life, and then we have a glory that awaits us. So part of our new life includes our stretching forward to take hold of the fullness that we can't yet fully contain. We do not yet see all things subject to Christ. He rose and he rules, but not all people submit. Sin and evil are still here. And his wrath is still revealed. Viruses spread fast. How does his resurrection secure our eternal, everlasting glory? Well, first, we see Jesus. Now crowned with glory and honor because he tasted death for everyone. He's so glorious, so honored, so beautiful. 
So first we see Jesus, and second we believe the gospel that when God raised us up with Christ, he also, it says in Ephesians 2 verse 6, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Part of the glory and honor of our King Jesus is the possession of the resurrection body. Our whole future is there in him, for he possesses the body that never again gets a torn muscle or a slipped disc or dementia or cancer or MS. King Jesus is all glorious, even in his human nature. And whatever, what you long for, whatever you could legitimately long for, he has. And because he has it, and you are in him, united to him, you get to have what he has. You're in him by spirit-worked faith. There's a mystical, wonderful unity there. You have it too. It's really yours. That's the full gospel message. It's not just that Jesus did something over there and made a transaction and you're now righteous before God. It's that he comes in your life and he has his whole future wrapped up, your whole future wrapped up in himself. All things are yours in Christ, says Paul. To quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Apostle says, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 22, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, those different apostles like Paul and Peter, or the world, the whole world, or life, or death. It's like saying you have power of all these things, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Makes our minds think of Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Christ takes charge of it as the one who always obeyed God's rule and returns the rule to you. In Christ, it's yours. And he promises, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And so you too should be convinced that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How can you be more than a conqueror? Well, you can be a possessor. You can have not just the conquering, but also all the booty. We are super victorious, for we belong to the eternal kingdom. And so we have those beautiful verses. Through him who loved us, we are certain that neither death nor life, um, anybody else's life or our death or anything, neither angels, fallen angels, good angels, neither rulers, Things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation. They're all created things, and therefore none of them can interrupt, intercept, or get in between you and your God, who is almighty and all-powerful, and the love of your God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We belong to a new creation, and we are a new creation in Christ. So my dear beloved brothers and sisters, it was God's will that we should consider the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on this particular Sunday. And let nothing sway you from this confession. It is all yours in Christ and by faith. Hold on to him in these changing times and you will be secure now and forevermore. Amen.